I can, you know, being a doctor uh, and a medical doctor uh, seems like it, it, there's a lot of, at times, glamour about that position. We, we treat it off, uh, highly because we should. We should honor those that work hard, study hard, and continue to work hard to provide for us the kind of medical help that we can get. And I think I would imagine that one of the difficult parts of being a doctor is when you have to sit in a room with one of your patients and tell them that they have cancer or tell them that they only have a certain amount of time left to live. Now, I, I, I've never had to do that, but I would imagine if I had to do that, that would be something I would want and to kind of avoid because it's very painful what you're delivering to the people and it's awkward. And so it would be easy just to avoid the conversation altogether. It would also be gross negligence and unloving to avoid that conversation because if you love somebody and you tell them the truth in a way of grace, and if you're responsible to tell the truth and you don't, then you, that's called gross negligence. And so in a way, in a similar way, not the same, but a similar way, I kind of am in that spot this morning. There's, as I'm preaching through 2 Peter, there are some hard things in this chapter that Peter and God say. And it's going to put me in conflict with some of you, many of you perhaps, in different ways. For some of you, this is going to be yet another reason why you do not want to ever come back to church. It's just going to confirm your bias that God and church are just judgmental and they hate me. For others, it's going to put you in conflict because in your family or in your group of friends or at work, it, 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 it's going to put you in a place of conflict that you have been quietly hiding in and this is going to force you to decide whether you're going to stand or remain quiet when it comes to Jesus. And for others, it's going to force you to make some heavy choices. And for others, you're going to feel a sense of encouragement because you have been obedient to this truth. Now, it'd be easier for me just to avoid this, not have this conversation, but that would be both gross negligence on my part. Uh, Martin Luther said, if you preach the whole Bible except for the parts that directly apply to situations that you're in, you are not preaching the Bible. <laughs> now, that may not matter to you, but it certainly matters to me because you don't have to maybe preach the Bible, but I do. And so it puts me in this place where it would be gross negligence for me to skip over this chapter. And it would be unloving and unkind for me to allow you to continue being formed and shaped by the beliefs of our world and not know what God thinks about some of the things you're facing. So I want to challenge you as you're hearing this, for some of you this is going to be hard to hear, to remember one thing. This is not from me. In fact, it's really even not from Peter. The message that he gives is from God. And so you have to settle that with God. And don't let anger or hurt get in the way 
of God reaching out to you in whatever situation you're in that's going to apply to this. You know, some of my most important times as a father is when I had to correct or challenge my three boys. It wasn't always received well, but that was my role. And that was how I loved them. And so I want to hopefully be loving to you as I share what the scripture says for you to chew over and then you to decide about. So pray with me. Jesus, the truth of your word is sometimes cutting, abrasive, certainly different from the values that we get pumped into us through media and our educational system and our friend groups and our families. And yet the heart of Jesus is always to love those of us that are captured by our sin and to lead us to freedom. And so I pray for, first of all, I pray for a spirit, your spirit to bring a spirit of understanding. I pray against the evil one who snatches the seed of the word of God away from people. And I pray any demons here present, you must leave in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what's this guy going to say? You're sitting there <laughs> wondering. Well, Peter has been telling us, he told us in the first chapter, he's going to die. Jesus told him he's going to die. And so he wants to make sure that the fellow believers that he has been pastoring will continue in the faith after he's gone. And he said, now remember these things. And so he points them things out. In the first part of chapter one, he points out that true faith produces godliness or good works. And true faith produces obedience. Don't say you're a follower of Jesus if you're not obeying what Jesus says. You could have prayed some prayer, you could come to church, you can say you believe stuff, but if it's not working out in your life, your faith is dead. True faith produces obedience, it produces works. Now, that doesn't mean you don't struggle, my goodness. To, to walk and obey Jesus is struggle. Like a, you will fail, you will struggle. But if your heart's desire is, is truly been, if you have a true faith, you will want to obey Jesus or you will be in a battle with him when you're not. Okay, that's the first thing. True faith produces godliness. The second thing Peter says, remember this, the word of God is trustworthy. And he shows us that it's supernaturally inspired and the only explanation is that God is behind it. So therefore, what it teaches is trustworthy. You can build your life on the scripture. Because it knows where, what you don't and I don't and that is the end of our lives. And it built, gives us a foundation to build on. And so obedience to the word of God produces a life of godliness and one that will be productive and valuable in the kingdom of God. So then he moves into chapter two. And he says, but there were also false prophets among the people. So he's referring back to the people of God in the Old Testament. He said there were false prophets, people who would teach wrong things to lead the people astray. And just as their will, now notice that word, just as there will be false teachers among you. Not there might be, there will be false teachers among you. Even in 2023, 
There will be false teachers. People, they'll secretly introduce destructive heresies. They will secretly, subtly, carefully introduce beliefs, sometimes over periods of years, where they, where they will provide a movement away from the truth of the word of God. And Peter says they're destructive heresies because they'll destroy your faith if you believe and follow them even to the point of denying the sovereign Lord who brought, bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Now I stop there and I think, my goodness, that described, I've been talking to you about this thing called progressive Christianity. That was a clear description of what progressive Christianity is. Well, what's progressive Christianity? It is a combination of the cultural values of our world and the Bible. Getting rid of things from the Bible that don't fit and contradict the culture of our world and then somehow blending it together and making it appear that that is what it means to follow Jesus. And so progressive Christianity teaches things like, well, not all the Bible is true. There are parts of it we need to get rid of. How convenient. They're the parts that we don't like. There are many ways to Jesus, not just one, not just through faith in Jesus. There's many ways to God. It doesn't really matter what religion you belong to. That's not what the scripture teaches. But, but that's the part you get rid of, right? <laughs> so it doesn't, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and abortion isn't the ending of a life. It's a rightful choice. There is no such thing as hell or punishment for sin. That to express your love in either a heterosexual or homosexual relationship is fine as long as you love the other person. And anybody who disagrees with these values is judgmental, mean, and oppressive. So very interesting, take out the parts of the Bible that contrast our scripture, or our, the parts of the Bible that contrast our culture rather, and then if you, if you disagree, then you're mean and judgmental and oppressive. That's what Peter says, they'll secretly introduce these destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved. Now the word depraved is used in other parts of the Old, uh, New Testament for sexual immorality, um, whether, any kind of sexual immorality. And you will find in this chapter, when Peter's talking about the false teachers, that they focus around two things, sexual sin and greed, money sin, sex and money. Gee, like we've never had that problem in a church before. Interesting, I would say they are the two sins that draw most believers away from their faith, sex and money. Many will follow the depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, so sex, here's the money, the teachers will exploit you with, they'll make up fabricated stories. They'll just 
turn what the scripture says, make up stories, get you to believe the stories, people giving testimonies of what they believe, and, 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 and it'll be against the scripture, but either you just follow those stories, and they must be good people, look at the story, it was so meaningful, or they, they are good people, they preach so well, or they teach so well, and then, but they have done so many good things, and then they make up these stories that will then lead us away from the truth, and then Peter says, their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. So this is the part that I was warning you I was gonna get to. So Peter says, uh, we know that there will be, their destruction and judgment is coming. Well, how do you know that, Peter? Now he's gonna take three examples from the Old Testament. And this is what Peter is teaching us through this. That the examples that he is going to use from the Old Testament are meant to be examples to us of how God will respond to those specific sins, particularly sexual immorality and greed. That the, the, the stories in the Old Testament show us God's view of these sins and how he will ultimately deal with them. And we know from Romans 2 that God has great forbearance that he does not deal with our sins immediately because his hope is that we will turn from our sin and turn to him. And so he has patience and forbearance with us. But at some point, when God has decided it is time, here is how we, he's going to deal with them. How do we know that? Because that's how he dealt with them in the past and that's how we know how he'll deal with them in the future. So here's the three stories. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell now the actual word there is tartarus so if you're a theology geek you know that tartarus is the same place in greek mythology where the titans were sent because of their transgressions so why would peter use not gehenna the normal word for hell but the word tartarus well, I don't know, figure it out. Anyway, so he says, uh, he sent them to Tartarus, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about, he says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to Tartarus, putting them in chains of darkness. <clears throat> so, Peter, I believe, is talking about the sons of God in Genesis 6. And here's why I believe it. First, the theological milieu, <laughs> the theological thinking of Peter's day was that it was angels in Genesis chapter 6 who left their place and committed, uh, committed sin. They left their place of being angels and came and had sex with women, human women, and created these things called Nephilim, which are kind of like a half God, half man type of thing. And that's what the rabbinical scholars and writings believed almost exclusively. Now Jude, over in, if you go to, um, I'll just read it for you the book of Jude. Jude is a contemporary Peter. Jude was the brother of Jesus. Jude was under the same uh, teaching, uh, the rabbinical teaching. And by the way, the Jews in Peter's and Jude's day talked about theology like we talk about sports and movies and entertainment. 
It infiltrated. Like from a young child, you were taught theology on the way up. And Jude says, if I can find it, I think, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. Now, he gives a little more detail than Peter does. The angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for the judgment of the great day. Do you remember when Jesus delivered the, um, the demoniac of the Gadarenes and uh, he delivers this man who, he goes, who are you to the demon? The demon says, I'm legion, for we are many. And then they beg him. What did they beg of Jesus? Do you remember that story? They said, don't send us where? To the abyss, to Tartarus. And so he sent them in the pigs and they all rushed down the one. So he allowed, Jesus allowed the demons to still stay in the area that they had authority over. And Peter and Jude are telling us that they're gaining from the rabbinical teaching around them that these angels in Genesis 6 sinned and then God dealt with them. Not only that, there is no other story in the Old Testament that talks about angels sinning and being judged. That's the only one. So Peter says, remember those angels? How they left sexual immorality, they left their proper dwelling, and they cohabitated with women, and God sent them to Tartarus, where they will never come out until the day of judgment. That's how God deals with sin. Then he gives us a second story. Well, maybe that's just angels. God wouldn't do that to men. Verse five, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people. So remember, uh, right after the result of the sin in Genesis six was these Nephilim who we know from other scriptures were utterly wicked, that led, that their design by the fallen angels was to produce a seed that would corrupt mankind so that the seed that God promised couldn't come through mankind. So their goal, their reason for being there was to utterly corrupt mankind. And it so grieved God, if you read the story, that he said, I got to hit the reset button. And so just as their and they were known for their sexual immorality. It so grieved God that he said destruction. Complete destruction. Except, Peter says, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So this is a new piece that Peter adds in here. The angels sinned and God judged them thoroughly and sent them to Tartarus where they'll never come out until the judgment day. The people around Noah's day were so utterly corrupt sexually that God destroyed the world except for Noah. One more story. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Did you catch that? Peter refers back to the Sodom and Gomorrah story 
And he said that God burned them to ashes so that it would be an example of what will happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued a lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawness, living among them day after day and was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw. So he uses this third story. Now there's been a movement among biblical scholars to say that Sodom and Gomorrah is not representative of uh, homosexuality or same gender sex because Ezekiel refers back to Sodom and Gomorrah I think it's Ezekiel 36 or 39, refers, it must be 36, refers back to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and says that he condemns them for their pride and injustice, which is true, he does. But just because Ezekiel picks out these two sins doesn't mean there were other sins. It just means they were the sins that Ezekiel was going to focus on. If you go to the stories in Genesis chapter 19, you will discover that the issue at hand that the angels go to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah is because of the same gender sex. That's the issue God takes with Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude also refers to this same story. In a similar way, says Jude, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. So Jude tells us why they were destroyed, because of the sexual immorality and perversion. And if you read the story, you know the story is about same-gender sex. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So... Peter is trying to communicate to his people, be careful of the sexual immorality and the greed because this is how God deals with that sin. Now, let me just stop for a moment because I know I just kind of laid a heavy thing down. I'll remind you that this is not me. This is God's word. Now, I believe God's word. And that's why I'm preaching it. It would be gross negligence for me not to share these verses with you. The second thing I would say is, if you struggle with same gender attraction, but are seeking to follow God, then this isn't referring to you. This is referring to those who say, this is my life, this is what I'm choosing, I don't care what God or anybody else says. This is the way I'm going. I mean, all of us, heterosexual, homosexual, we all, I think pretty well all of us, struggle with sexual temptation in some form or another. And so to struggle with temptation and seek to live for God is what godly people do, regardless of what the temptation is. But to choose to pursue a path of heterosexual immorality or homosexual immorality is to choose to walk away from God. Now, some of you here uh, may be heterosexual and married, and so, but your issue is that you have family like me or friends like me who have chosen to pursue a same gender sex relationship. And so you're put in a place and you love those people. And so when you hear this, this makes you, one, feel injustice is being served toward them. This isn't, you shouldn't be talking about this. They're good people and they 
are good people, at least my friend and my family are. They're good people, but they are sinning good people just like you are sinning good people and I'm a sinning good person most of the time and that I need an answer for my sin and my sin leads me away from God. And so it puts you in a place where eventually, like I don't lead with this every time I'm around my family and friends. It's like, you know, that are gay. When I'm working out with somebody, I go, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, let's go work out. Like, that's not what I lead with. But there is always a point somewhere along the line that you're going to have to show your cards. And for some of you, you have been hiding you avoid this topic, you avoid speaking the truth because it's really hard and awkward. And you love the people and you think, why would I want to hurt them? And I would say that's gross negligence. And that if you truly love somebody, you share the truth in love, even when it hurts. If it's gross negligence for a doctor to hide the truth and gross negligence for me to hide the truth, then I think it's gross negligence for you to hide the truth. Because it's through truth that people come to God, not by hiding it. Now, why would God say such hard things about people? Why is he so mean? Why is he so against this? God is not against the people. He's against the sin because the sin leads the people away from him. So Crystal and I have uh, a couple, uh, actually really good friends of ours, their parents uh, are kind of ministry people. They, they worked in the workplace for years. When they retired, they became, um, uh, they went into ministry. And so they, uh, they, they uh, had some children. We were good friends with one of them. But they had a son too, who's probably somewhere around my age. And uh, he got engaged, he got hooked up into drugs when he was younger in the teenage years. And he has totally destroyed his life. He's still fighting the battle of drugs. They don't even know where he's at. The, mostly when they ever hear from him, he's living on the street. He's my, he's, he's in his 50s or 60s and he's living on the street because his whole life has been consumed and he has been mastered by drugs. And if you listen to our friends, Talk about drugs. You know in no uncertain terms, they hate drugs because of what it's done to their son. They don't hate their son. They hate the drugs that have stolen his life and that he has given his life to and he has destroyed his marriage. He has destroyed his children. He has destroyed his health. He has destroyed their family to a degree. They hate it for that reason because what it's done to him and all the relationships around him. And that's why God speaks about any sin, including same-gender sex. Any sin, not just same-gender sex all sin, because it leads people away from God, away from hope, away from salvation, and we know if Peter is right, and I believe he is because he's inspired by God, we know how God ultimately deals with all sin, including sexual immorality. We know it. Here there's three stories that illustrate to us how God will deal with sin. 
But because God loves people, he points out the truth. And he died. So this is the part you have to struggle with. You'll have to deal with. It's like, I can't believe that he would preach thus in the Bible or that God would say such a thing. Well, then you have to come to grips with the reality that Jesus died for you or your family member or your friend. So how does that fit in? If God was so against you or against your family or your friend, why would he die for them? The issue is not the person, it's their sin. And it separates us from God. And sexual immorality and greed are particularly powerful because they capture our souls and send us on a path promising gratification that they ultimately cannot deliver and pull us away from God. It's why Satan moves so much to promote these sins in our culture, in our social media, in our media of all kinds, our educational systems, schools, in our family group. You're getting it everywhere you hit. So it seems normal. It seems normal. So in the end, here's where I leave you. You're gonna to have to choose, do you believe the word of God or do you believe the culture? That's where God leaves us. That's where Peter's leaving his people. This is what's going to happen, quite a description of today, really. And you need to choose to believe, am I going to stand and build my life on the word of God and its values and alter my life? Or am I going to stand and build my life on the values of culture and attempt to change scripture and God to fit me. So, am I going to believe God and I'll change to fit God? Or am I going to stand on culture and change God to fit me? Which one will it be? Now my heart for you, if you're struggling in this area, whether you're struggling with same gender attraction, or you're, you have somebody in your family is, and you're, you're struggling to, you, you, you know, you don't want to see them condemned, and so you think that I'm not going to bring this up, I'm not going to cause conflict. Uh, my heart for you would be that you would meet Jesus. That you would find hope. That in your brokenness and in your pain, that the truth of Jesus dying on the cross would rescue you and let you know and experience the forgiveness of sins and new life. Because it doesn't matter what sin you deal with, you're welcome here. This is a place, if you want to find Jesus, but we will talk about the truth. Listen to what Peter says as he sums this up. He goes, he writes... Um, Peter says, I want you to know that God tells us all this because if this is so, if it's true that, that those situations represent, those examples represent how God deals with sin, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and uphold the righteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. So Peter says, hey, 
If you're struggling, but you're trying to follow God. By the way, do you notice the two people he mentions? Noah and Lot? I mean, if you look at the life of Lot, he's not what you would call a shining example of moral practice. And yet God looks down and says, he had a heart to seek me, and so did Noah. And so he, Peter goes, God knows how to rescue us. He knows how to help us. If we're willing to stand for what is right, if we're willing to seek him, if we're willing to come in repentance, God knows how to change our life and rescue us. But if we refuse... And then he says, especially true of those who follow corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. To say to God, no, I'm not going to follow you, is to despise his authority in your life. And while you can live that way while you're here on earth, the scriptures teach us that in the end we all give account of our lives. Because God has created this world, he's bringing it to an end, and we are part of the plan that he has made. Whether we want to trust God and walk with him or not, that's our choice. But in the end, God deals with all of us, justly and righteously and lovingly. Uh, now... I've got, there are what, 30 verses in this chapter, no, 22. I've gone through 10, so I'm going to do a bit of a skip here. This is why this is so important. Look at what, how Peter closes this chapter. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it, and are overcome. This is why he's telling you, telling the believers, remember these things, because if you have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ, but you again are entangled in it and are overcome, you are worse off at the end than you were at the beginning, before you came to know Jesus. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. And this is why Peter is so concerned about this, that if you give up the faith to turn to the values of the world, you're worse off than before you took the faith. Because you've looked at Jesus and said, no. Knowing what he has done, knowing his death, resurrection, knowing what truth is, and you have said, no. And so Peter pleads, as I plead with you, trust the word of God. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Trust the word of God. Will it bring conflict into your life? Of course it will. Trust the word of God. Is it true? Uh-huh. It's trustworthy, said Peter. It's supernatural. There's no way to explain how this book predicts things from hundreds and hundreds of years accurately over 300 times. How do you do that? Well, only God can do that. So it's trustworthy. Build your life on it. And I'll leave you with this as we've gone through this. Now, my prayer today was that if you're offended by anything I said, it's because of what I said, not how I said it. My prayer is that 
If you're struggling with same gender sex or you're, you're not a believer and you're, you, know, you disagree with the, what I've said, I, I, I pray that, that you will feel welcome here and that you'll go, you know, but I, that Jesus, I, I want to know, something in me wants to know more about him, that you go, well, yeah, he said some hard things, but I never got the feeling I wasn't welcome here. And if you got that feeling, then I want to change your mind on that and assure you it doesn't matter what sin you struggle with because we all struggle with some sin. We're all sinners. It's not that we, you come here because you don't struggle with sin. You come here because you love Jesus or you want to know more about him. And his death on the cross proves he's for you. So, so I don't want any way that I said this to make you feel like, oh, they don't love me there, they don't want me there, I don't belong there. But if you're struggling with what I said, that's truth delivered through Peter from God. And you have two options. You can resist it. Never go back there. I'll never listen to that. That's just garbage. That's so judgmental. That's so uh, self-righteous. I, I want, if that's how you want to interpret God's word, you have that choice to do that. Or you can say, yeah, that's my life. And I want change. I want hope. And so I'm going to seek Jesus. And that guy up there said, doesn't matter what sin I'm struggling with. If I want Jesus, I'm welcome here. And you are. Hard, hard truth. You know, 30 years ago, that truth wouldn't have been hard to preach. People would have been more upset that I said Genesis 6 is, are angels than they would be that I preached about homosexuality. But our culture shifted. And that's the prevailing attitude of our culture because our culture is in rebellion against God, saying we don't need God. We don't need what he has to say. We don't want to be under his authority. We want to do it our way. We'll find our salvation. We'll, we'll make a world in which we can be happy and who cares about what comes next because nothing really probably comes next anyway. It's, it's now and, and we'll make a world that we can live in where we can have what we want, all of it, and we can, have, we can be free sexually. We can be free uh, with our money to make all that we want with no understanding of what it does to our souls or no understanding of what we do to other people by the pursuit of our fleshly desires and no understanding of how we're denying and resisting the authority of God and violating the plan that he has for this world that he's been working since the garden and will bring into fruition in the day that Jesus returns, that we are actively working against God. That doesn't matter. I just want to do what I want to do. So in the end, we have to make a choice. Do I build my life on the teachings of the scripture and change to fit it? Or do I build my life on the values of the culture and either reject God or change God to fit my culture, which is what progressive Christianity is trying to do? Let me pray for you. Father, uh, this truth that Peter gives is difficult. It cuts across the values of our world and there's not a lot of voices that are speaking the truth 
of your word. Forgive us as pastors for neglecting to talk about hard things. Forgive us for hating people that are different than us. Forgive us if we become self-righteous. And as a church, forgive us for being isolated, self-righteous, fearful. And so now I pray that you would grant us that wonderful mix that Jesus had, grace for people, a love and a compassion for those he spoke to, and then truth, a resilient faith in the word of God. Lord, if we don't bring these things to this world, who would? There is no organization that will bring the truth of God with love to this world other than your church. Grant us the courage in our workplaces, our educational places, our families, our friendships, to be people of grace and truth. I pray for anyone here that has found this truth offensive that you will help their heart to seek you and to want to know how you make us new from the inside out, how you forgive us and reconcile us. Take away the offense by bringing humility and an openness to seek you. I pray this in Jesus' name.